Welcome to Whatcom New Life Assembly's Sermon of the Week, where, as always, it's all good news. For more info on how to get involved in our church or to partner with our ministry, please visit us at whatcomnewlifeassembly.org. I have been really enjoying myself studying worship, studying praise. Um, you know, because we don't always understand why is it every service I've ever been to, they have to have music in front of it, right? Now, I like music, but there's some people who are like, music just doesn't float my boat. I don't think we need it. Listen, we're going to talk about that today. Two weeks ago, we talked about what worship is, and I will demonstrate one more time. The word worship is simply the word shaka, and it means this. Doesn't mean to dance, doesn't mean to sing, doesn't mean to shout, doesn't mean any of those things. It literally means to lay prostrate before God. To everything. And, and I don't even have to lay on my, I can say, I come to the Lord and I say, I lay my life down. I lay this thing that I'm so desperate and begging you for, I lay it down. That's worship. This thing that happened, oh, it's so bad, I lay it down. You realize that's worship? That is pure worship. Acknowledging there is a God, his name is not me, and so I lay my whole life down to him. That's why I do it. Then that flows into something called praise. Praise. When I really come into encounter a God who is the real God who created everything, oh my, first of all, I'm fully aware of my, my miscomings and I fall flat on my face. And he takes the coal and he cleanses me when I say, oh Jesus, forgive me. And there is nothing I can do but let praise rise up out of me. Because boy, howdy, I, I don't deserve what he did for me. But I praise, I praise. And we talked about two, two different Hebrew words for praise. The halal, hallelujah, to shine, to boast, to brag. That's, that's the most common word for praise. It is, it is a, hey, my dad's bigger than your dad, right? We use that example. We use the example of, have you seen the size of my dad's biceps? They're huge. Your dad couldn't even come close. This is what we do to God, because I'm in worship. When I fall flat on my face before God, I encounter God. Oh my, he's big. That's the outflow, and what that is is praise. The halal, I'm boasting in God. If you're going to boast, boast in the Lord, right? Right? And so that's what we talked about last week. And then we also jumped into the word yada which means to shoot, to cast, to give thanks, to confess. This is, this is the example we used was when Jehoshaphat sent the choir in first. Yeah. Right? Because when I let praise rise up, no matter what my circumstance, I am wielding a sword. It is warfare. When I give thanks, when I praise in all circumstances, circumstances change. And even if they don't, I do. My perspective of them, like, it's not even that big of a deal that my bank account's got drained right now. Honestly, when I encounter a God who is, oh my goodness, he's so much big, oh, praise God. Every, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. That happens when you praise him. I made that part up to the song. <laughs> We're allowed to make up new songs to the Lord, right? It's, it's biblical. Amen. So that's where we have been. 
those two things, well, three things, or however many you want to count them as, they can be very personal and very intimate, and they should be. But today I want to talk about praise through singing, through music, which for some reason has always been a part of church history. And then we're going to show you why corporate singing not only is fun and, hey, it's a bonus. No, 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 no. Corporate singing, coming together, not just me all by myself singing whatever song I want. Corporate singing is vital to your walk with God. Amen. There's a great, a great push in, in our culture to pull, separate yourselves out. I can do my own thing. I'm going to just go ride a horse in the... And you can do that. Go do your own thing. Go ride a horse and praise God, but you best come back together in corporate praise. Because something happens that we're going to talk about today that is God-ordained, God-purposed, and will make you more like Jesus than if you never come together as a corporate worship expression. It is vital. First of all, music was not an afterthought of creation. It wasn't something that God made everything, and then one day a guy was walking around, his name was Tubal, who was the father of praise, but he was like, hey, look at this, if I move my voice up and down, do, 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 we could make up things. We'll call it music. No, no man invented music. It was part of creation. It was part of God's beauty. It was God's idea. He ordained it. He made it. And it's very purposeful. Singing praise. Oh, my goodness. We are told over and over to sing praises to God. We are told to make music, clap your hands, play the instruments. Over and over in Scripture, right? Music was around from the very foundation of the earth. In fact, we get this glimpse and I've got a lot of verse references today, and we're not going to go to each one. But, but, but we get this glimpse in the book of Job when God is talking to, he's basically chastising Job, right? And he says, were you there at creation when I laid the earth's foundations and the morning stars sang? This is, this, this is amazing, okay? Because what, what we have here is God created the world to a soundtrack, I want the CD, don't you? I want the, C- I want the soundtrack of creation. There was one. The morning star. Who is the morning star? Who is the bright and morning star? Jesus. Jesus was the word. Oh my goodness, we could preach a whole sermon on this. He was there at creation. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And what was he doing? Everything that God said, let there be light. Oh, let there be light. That's what Jesus sang it. The morning star sang creation. It could have been rap, it could have been hip-hop, it could have been country-western. I don't know. He probably switched genres for each day, all right? That's why he needed seven days of creation. And on the sixth day, it was probably like rap, and so he needed to rest on the seventh days. Like that. I think we've pretty much tapped out the musical genres here. Music. It was there at the foundations. It was there at the foundations. Um, in fact... Our lives would be so empty without music. You walk, even walk outside, and God gave us these things called birds, and then just start tweeting around. It's musical. 
It's almost as if he's saying, good morning. I love you. Right? If you walk, when, you, when you walk somewhere and there's dead silence, you, you feel like there's something weird and wrong here. It's all part of our course. In fact, I thought it would be fun to do this. Um, if you've ever tried, to, you know, some of the most amazing epic movies of all times, if you removed their soundtrack, you'd be like, this is dumb. Okay? I'd like you to watch what Rocky's great training montage would be like without the eye of the tiger. So go ahead. That's good. We'll stop there. It goes on and on. You get this guy counting down his push-ups. He's like, one, two. It's dumb. It's like, wow, that was a really weird, awkward movie. Um, and, and I don't have a high-quality version of, of this, but go ahead and play my next one with music. We're going to get ready to run after this. demonstrate those push-ups after the service. I don't want to brag. I have to boast in the Lord only, all right? But here's the deal. It's plain and simple when you look at it this way. Music does something. It adds a depth and a richness that words can't even describe. It speaks things to us, which is also why we need to be careful what we listen to, because it will speak things to us. It, it has the ability to change our minds about things even when no rational thought has been given. Music is powerful. God created it. All right. We go on and on. Uh, one, one, one of the first instances, I believe, of music is when, when God creates Eve. And, uh, and, and Adam, Adam sa- it says, Adam says, but the word means Adam boasted. He's like, whoa. And what do we know a boast is? It's a, it's a form of praise. And he's like, this is bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. I believe that was a song. And if it wasn't, should have been. We should make it. <laughs> we move on through time. We get to Moses. Okay, the, the, the Israelites, they're slaves in Egypt. They, uh, uh, they're Hebrew people at this point. And they're coming out. They, the God parts the Red Sea. They march through on dry ground. They get onto the other side. And, and, and pfft, The waters crash down, destroy the armies of the Egyptians. And then it says, and then Moses led the people in a song. They corporately got together. And then, I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but it's the song of Moses. And it starts, it says, then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. And it goes on and on, and it describes his wonderful works from creation up until now. And there was a vital importance to music. 
in that moment. And that song passed from generation to generation so we could remember and, and, and worship the Lord together. We move on. More examples in the scripture. Um, shortly after that, it, they built the tabernacle, which was a tent which housed the Ark of the Covenant, which is where the glory of God rested, right? After, after they got in, the kings started around. David was finally able to bring the Ark and the tabernacle to Jerusalem, finally. It had been years and years. Uh, it had been in other people's houses. It had been wandering around the desert. Now it's finally in Jerusalem, where it's supposed to be. And David, in 1 Chronicles, you can read it in chapter 15 all the way to chapter 17, he appoints, this is what he does, when, when the ark, when the presence of God finally is among the people in its rightful place, he appoints 288 prophetic singers and 4,000 musicians to make petition, to give thanks, and praise the Lord day and night. We call it the Davidic order of worship. David instituted 24 hours a day of worship and praise to God. Prophetic praise, thanksgiving praise, petition praise, all of these things. And it was part of the, 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 the whole worship to God. In fact, these 4,000 people were paid to do their job. Well, they, were, they weren't given Caesar tax or whatever. They were pay, given food, right? The people, they would tithe to the tabernacle, and that was to feed all, these, all the worship leaders as well. Okay? So David institutes that. Solomon comes. He finally is able to build this glorious temple that was on David's heart. And, and he constructs it. And at the opening ceremony, he says, the worship in this temple should be in the order of the Davidic order. What's he saying? We need to have 24-hour worship and praise in this temple to glorify and keep the people worshiping God. That's in 2 Chronicles 8, 14 through 15. Now listen to this. Whenever worship music in the temple stopped, the people went into sin. Whenever praise stopped in the temple, the people started intermarrying, they started worshiping idols, and they found someone else to give their praise and thanks. Why would they stop? Why did they keep stopping the music? Why did they keep hitting stop? Because music, in our, in our wisdom, we think it's frivolous. You know what? The budget's getting a little tight. Let's cut the worship leader. We still need the priest to offer the sacrifices or our atonement won't happen, but let's cut all the music program, and you know what? We'll do it once in a while if we can get somebody. And as a result, the people go into sin. There's something about corporate worship and praise that keeps us focused in the right direction. You see this over and over. Jehoshaphat, he was one of the good kings. There weren't very many. But when he repented and, and drew the nation back, what did he do? The first thing he did, you read this in 2 Chronicles 20:20, he reinstituted the Davidic order of worship. And every single king that, that led the nation back to God reinstituted the Davidic order of praise. You've got Joash, Hezekiah, Josiah. They all had to reinstitute it because the people had stopped it. Folks, corporate expression through music is an important part of your faith. 
even if you can't carry a tune, all right? Now get this, and this is the one I want to read because it makes me happy. So after all this time, they keep pressing stop on the, on the praise, and they keep going into rebellion. Finally, they get turned over to the, the curse for their rebellion, which God had spoke from the very beginning, which was exile. Right? Israel's the first to go, and Judah follows. Judah goes in and gets captured into Babylon. Right? After 70 years, the time of fulfillment had come. And finally, I'm going to open to Nehemiah. We got Ezra and Nehemiah, they get to go back and build the temple because God is going to reinstitute some things here. And he moves upon the heart of Nehemiah and he moves upon the heart of the king in that time to allow them to come back, okay? So, I want to get to my, my spot here. So, uh, Nehemiah 31, uh, 12, 31 through 47, it'll be on the screen, I'm reading out of the New Living today. It says this, let me make sure, Nehemiah 12. Okay, this is Nehemiah. This is once the walls were completed. They finally, they completed the temple, they've completed the walls, and this is the big pomp ceremony to praise and worship God for what he'd done. It says this, I led the leaders of Judah to the top of the wall. First of all, can you show my picture? I have a picture on there. I just got to brag for a second. Not that one, next one. Yep, that's me on the walls of Jerusalem, everybody, just to brag a little bit. Me and Pastor Tim from uh, Birch Bay Bible, we walked the rampart wall. It was pretty, it was awesome, any part of it. Different wall. Nehemiah's wall got destroyed, but we were close enough, same spot. So, Nehemiah led the leaders of Judah to the top of the wall and organized two large choirs. Speaking of choir, if you'd like to join our Easter choir after service today, please join us in the fireside room. All right. What did the choirs do? To give thanks. One of the choirs proceeded southward along the top of the wall to the dung gate. Hashiah and half of the leaders of Judah followed them, along with Azara, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah. Then came some priests who played trumpets, including Zechariah, son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Matthiah. Son of, they really like to know your ancestry in these days, all right? And Zechariah's colleagues were these people as well. They used musical instruments prescribed by David. Davidic order here, folks. The man of God, Ezra, the scribe, led this procession. At the fountain gate, they went straight up the steps on the ascent of the city wall toward the city of David. They passed the house of David. It's important. They passed the house of David and then proceeded to the water gate on the east. The second choir, giving thanks, went northward around the other way to meet them. Followed, uh, uh, I followed them together with the other half of the people along the top of the wall, past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, then past the Ephraim gate to the old city gate, past the fish gate and the tower of Hananel, onto the tower of Hundred. Then we continued onto the sheep gate and stopped at the guard gate. Here we go. Then... The two choirs that were giving thanks proceeded into the temple of God where they took their places. So did I, together with the group of leaders who were with me. When we were together, when we, we went together with the trumpet playing, priests Elkim, Messiah, and Minamin, boy, I should have practiced these names before I got up here. Uh, they played and sang loudly under the direction of Ze Jezariah, the choir director. Many sacrifices were offered on that joyous day, for God had given the people cause for great joy. The women and children also participated in the celebration, and the joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard far away. 
On that day, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for offering. I want to press pause for a second. Giving has always been associated with worship. On that day, we need storerooms because we've got a choir of 4,000 people. And we've got to provide for their food. Anyway, start, uh, the first part of the harvest and the tithes, they were responsible to collect from the fields outside of the towns the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For all the people of jo Judah took joy in the priests and Levites and their work. They performed the sacrifice of their God and the service of purification as commanded by David and his son Solomon. And so did the singers and gatekeepers. The custom of having choir director, directors to lead the choirs in hymns of praise and thanksgiving to God began long ago in the days of David and Asaph. Now, in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, all Israel brought the daily supply of food for the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Levites. And the Levites, in turn, gave a portion of what they received to the priests and descendants of Aaron. We're going to stop there for a minute. I said a mouthful there. Okay. The walls are built. The temple's back. Praise God. We must reinstitute the, the sacrifices. We must reinstitute the Levitical order. We must also reinstitute the, the, the house of David, the, the worship, the praise 24 7 to be done because God is worthy. And we know there's something profound that happens when we sing praise and sing worship. It doesn't always appeal to my wisdom in my, in my brain, but what it does is it changes something in me. Amen. And this is true. This is true. But what happens? So everything's good. For some reason, when everything's good, there's a temptation to stop worshiping God. But everything's good now. After 70 years, they've been restored. Great praise, great shouts, great, we restored everything just like God wanted it to be. And Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer of the king back in Babylon, was only allowed to be there until that was all done. And then his job was to go back and work for the king in Babylon again. And so he does. Okay? Nehemiah goes back to Babylon to taste the wine so the king doesn't get poisoned. I don't know how many years he was there. It was at least a few but in the very next chapter, chapter 13, the Lord moves on his heart again. I want to go back and see what's happening in Jerusalem. I want to go back and check it out. And so he asked the king. He's allowed to go again. Uh, and in Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 10, we'll start in 10. Uh, we'll do 10 through 11, and then I won't read the whole thing. But it says this. So he gets back, and everything, all hell had broken loose again. These people who had been in captivity for 70 years, every, God restored everything to them. And now after a very short period of a few years, they've turned their back on him again. I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food. So they and the singers who were to conduct the worship services had all returned to work in their fields. Press pause. The people stopped giving. The choir stopped singing. They had, to go, or their, they had to go back to their field so that they could eat again. I immediately confronted the leaders and demanded, why has the temple of God been neglected? Then I called the Levites back again and restored them to their proper duties. I'm going to skip over to verse uh, 20, did I say 23 through 25? 
And I love this part. It says this. About that same time, I realized that some of the men in Judah had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Furthermore, half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and some of the other people could not speak the language of Judah at all. So I confronted them and called down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I made them swear by the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with the pagan people of Israel in the land. All right. I just had to read that because it makes me laugh every time. You just imagine, ah, pull your beard out. Why? This is what God wants from you. All right. Here's the deal. When worship stops, when you stop to stop worshiping, you will start to do the dumbest things that you never thought you would. Because the human being is designed to worship. The human being is designed to praise. And if you do not cry out to God, you will cry out to whatever makes sense to you in the moment. Which is why throughout history we've worshipped the sun, we've worshipped the moon, we've worshipped the ocean, we've worshipped the fire. We've worshipped all sorts of stupid stuff. Because God created people to worship. And he said, now worship me, I'm God. And we're like, yeah, you're God, you're God. Hey, donuts. I just bow to the maple bar king. I don't just bow to the maple bar king. I stop worshiping my God. And then my brain thinks the maple bar king makes sense. It's right, Hope. She's like, that's dumb. That's what she just said. I'm like, Amen. But that's what happens when you stop worshiping. And it's not just, oh, I'm going to go off into the woods and worship by myself. When, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I come into a corporate gathering, and we start worshiping together. And now we are more a picture of what Jesus really is like than if I'm off my horse all by myself in the woods. And so, so Larry, sorry, not Larry, he's here today. Bob... <laughs> Bob's like, I'm going to worship the maple bar king. The rest of the body of Christ is like, Bob, that is dumb. Let's sing this song. We will worship the king of glory. And we sing it together. And we sing it together. And we repeat it together. And what happens is, Bob's like, you know, the maple bar doesn't make a lot of sense after all. Because there's a chiseling that's happening. As I corporately worship with other believers. Singing, praise, is, my goodness, without it, it leads to neglect every time. It's all over the New Testament as well. We we, we go on and on. After the Last Supper, when Jesus, he he broke the bread, then it says they sang a song together. I don't know what they sang, but it was probably as the deer panteth for the water. I'm pretty sure. Uh, When you come together, everyone should have a hymn and a song, as we're instructed in Corinthians. James, James 5.13, are any of you suffering? You should pray. Are you happy? You should sing praises. Paul and Silas, on and on. The entirety of church history from Christ, in fact, from David on, involves corporate expressions of musical song of praise. Our future glory in heaven. We get a glimpse in Revelation. Revelations 15, 2 through 3, it says this. I saw what before me seemed like a glass sea mixed with fire. And on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. They were all holding harps that God had given them and they were singing the song of Moses. That was the one song we mentioned. 
Isn't that interesting? They were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your works, O God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Worship, praise, music was, it is, and it always will be. I would imagine it gets better with age. Okay. Why is this corporate thing so important? I can worship by myself. I can praise by myself as I should. But why do I need to come together? You see, this new age thought of I don't need anybody else. It's a new age philosophy. Let's just make our own kind of music. It leads to stupidity. God created the body of Christ. You're not him. You can't be the body of Christ without me. I can't be the body of Christ without you. So I can't just go be the body all by myself in the mountain. I can't worship in unity by myself. Because I can't be in unison unless I have at least one other person to be in unison with. We are designed to be people of corporate expression. That's why we're called the body of Christ all together. So why is this so important? I'm so glad you asked. Quickly, I want to explore one more word for praise. And it's the word zamar. I'll do zamar later. But right now, I'm just going to... Sorry. That's my dad joke. I'm allowed one every Sunday. All right. It means this. To sing, to make music, uh, play as an instrument, pluck the strings. This is the one. Ding, ding, ding. That's why we have guitars. Piano. No, piano has a stringed instrument, too. We can't throw that one out. Drums, you're gone. All right. Zamar, and here it is in Psalm 33, 3. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you, uh, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. This is Zamar praise. We're instructed to do it. But if you read the definition of Zamar, there's actually two words, Zamar. And if you read the Strong's, it, it, it really blew my mind. It says this in the Strong's. If you keep reading as the definition, it says, it says perhaps identical to Zamar, which is another, the, uh, the uh, same Hebrew word, which means to prune. So sometimes we have Zamar used in Scripture when it's talking about prune the vine, Zamar, Zamar. Other times we have it used to praise, sing out loud. And so the scholars are like, it says perhaps they're the exact same word, we don't know. But, it, but in this context it means to sing, in this context it means to cut something. It means to prune something. I would submit to you that they are one and the same. When I sing praises corporately unto the Lord, there is a pruning that happens in me. Wouldn't be a Sunday without a power tool. Something is required when I sing. I am pruned. Those around me are pruned if I can't sing well. I'm kidding. It forces me to let go of some of what I want, some of my desires, some of my stylistic choices. And it forces others to let go of some of theirs. If we want to be in unison, we all have to be pruned a little bit. Eh, rap music. <laughs> eh, okay, fine. 
There must be a small portion of the body of Christ that likes that. I don't know. They're the parts we keep covered. All right. Joking. Zamar, praise. It forces you to consider others. Is my note in harmony with that note? Is my note in unison with that note at the very least? Thank you. John, we love you. And in heaven, God bless you. But right now, all right. There's something that happens when we sing our praise out loud, not only in ourselves, and it brings the nations to God. It prunes the nations. In fact, often in the book of Psalms, when the word zamar is used, it says, like in Psalm 57, 9, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. Why do I need that? Because the nations need pruning. The nations, we need it. Do we need pruning as a nation? My goodness, we need pruning. I will sing of you among the peoples. There is a, there is a pruning that happens through musical expression corporately. It is vital. It is vital to sing corporate songs of praise to Jesus. And if we don't, sin is easily encroaching upon us. We need each other. We need each other even in praise. As iron sharpens iron, like I said, so one man sharpens another. I'm a dull axe without another, another iron to sharpen against. You need the church. You need corporate expressions of the church, not just to float your boat, but to help your boat become a better boat. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, talked about this, and it was, it's just something that stuck with me uh, the last week. He talked to, he's talking about the real expression of what the body of Christ, what church would look like, and he says this, and I'm going to just give you a loose quote. He says, the true expression of, of what the church is supposed to look like, none of us would truly like, because it would require all of us to give up something. And I'm like, wow, that makes so much more sense. We spent hundreds of years trying to create churches that appeal to what I think the church should look like. When the truth of the matter is, when I come together as the body of Christ, there should be something that I'm laying down in, in a sacrifice for others. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for a friend. So when I come together with even five people, if I'm demanding what I think should be, what, it, what church has to look like, the song choice I want, all of those things, I'm not even getting into worship. Because I've laid nothing down. I'm going to start a new church, and it's going to be like this, and we're only going to do rap music. I'm going to go up into the mountains and do all my own thing. I'm only going to praise by myself. Well, guess what? You're going to be a weirdo. I tell my kids this. Sometimes, like, there's not hurting anybody, and I'm like, listen, it is part of my job to stop you from becoming a weirdo. I, I said this to my son just the other day, and what you're doing is weird. There's no harm in it, but it's weird. So stop it. Honestly, that's godly advice because we're called to live with other people. Amen. We're never called to be an island unto ourselves. And so I'm like, son, don't be weird. That's part of our jobs. That's why we come around each other. Oh, that's weird? I didn't realize that. Maybe I won't do that anymore. Ting, ting, ting. That's part of praise. And when I enter corporately into praise together, it requires me to die to myself and defer to those around me. 
And that is laying down my life for a friend. Corporate praise prunes and revives a nation. You cannot have unity without the rest of the body of Christ. If worshiping by myself gets me a glimpse of heaven and praising his name by myself opens up the heavens, imagine what praising his name in unity with the rest of the body of Christ does. There's no stopgap now, folks. That's why the nations repent when true worship is happening. I want to read this in conclusion, and I know I'm a little over, but this, this is beautiful. How many would say that that unity is something we value. That's why we praise. But Psalm 133, it's a short psalm, and I'm going to read the whole thing, and it says this. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. I can't have unity off by myself in the mountain. I can have unity with you weirdos. And when we defer to one another, and this is why we corporately praise, I'm letting go of something, you're letting go of something, we are saying, God, none of that matters, you matter, and we together sing your praise together, there he commands his blessing. Amen. Some of you have been walking around without the blessing of God because you've neglected the body of Christ. Or you, well, I've come every Sunday, of course, no, but you're not laying anything down. You're demanding, you're demanding. We are going to usher in a revival that will bring the nations to Jesus Christ simply by worshiping in unity Amen. and praising in unity. Could I get my worship team to come back up? I thought the only appropriate way to conclude this message was to sing corporately together. Amen. There's all sorts of other scriptures I wanted to get to today, but if you'll stand with me. We are going to praise the name of Jesus. A few more, just a few minutes. But I want you to defer and lay your life down. Sing in harmony. Listen to those around you as you lift up a praise unto the name of Jesus. You see, it has to be unto Jesus. I can lay my life down for anybody, but I'm not actually laying it to them. I'm doing it to Jesus. That's where the blessing is. So we're not laying my life down for you. I'm laying my life down unto Jesus for you. So let's do that together. Do you guys love Jesus? Has he been good to you? If you've never accepted Christ, it is simple as calling out his name. You, he will you will receive forgiveness of your sins, even life forevermore. And I would encourage you, as we corporately, as the body of Christ, sing praises, give your life to Jesus today.
desperate for you. Desperate for you. I surrender. I want to know. 
to save and we love you let's say this together we love you Jesus we're going to do it together ready one two three we love you Jesus and so Father God we receive your Holy Spirit we receive the work of Jesus Christ finished on the cross perfecting our righteousness as we come to you Father may our body here at Welcome New Life bring glory to Jesus Christ and may the unity in the spirit be, be so profound here and we worship Jesus together Amen Thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed this week's sermon if you would like to partner with our ministry please visit us at welcomenewlifeassembly.org